What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? Today, I'm talking to Brian Jagger, one of the co-founders of a company called Casting Calls America. Brian, you and I have gotten to meet face-to-face at various conferences a few times over the course of the last year, which is great because I've been able to see your business kind of evolve over time. And now I have the pleasure of having you on the podcast. So welcome to the show and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Cortland. It's, uh, it's an honor to be a guest on the show. So tell us about Casting Calls America. What is it exactly and how does it work? Yeah, so Casting Calls America is a software as a service business that connects casting directors and producers from regional areas to local actors that are looking for acting opportunities. So basically, if you're a casting director in Boston and you're looking to find an actor for your short film or your independent film or uh, commercial, etc., then you would post what you're looking for as far as actors go on our site. And then the actors who are registered with our local Boston site would be able to get the notification that there is a role that they may be a match for based upon their age demographics, et cetera. And they are able to then submit through our software to that project. Cool. So you're like a marketplace connecting people making movies and doing casting with the actual actors looking for these roles. Yeah, exactly. I I realize now that we're a two-sided marketplace, though I didn't even know what that term was when we got started. Yeah, give us an idea of some of the basics behind your company. When did you get started? How many employees do you have? How much money are you making, et cetera? Yeah, so we've been around uh, just a little over four years. Uh, It was four years this past June, and we started with one site. We do a little bit different uh, than other companies in, in our space and other companies in general that are SaaS. We we regionalize it. So we don't actually operate one website. We operate 30 plus websites. So each market has its own site. So for example, I was referencing Boston. So we have Casting Calls Boston that services the Boston market. And we have Sacramento Casting, which was our first site that services uh, Sacramento. And now we're, like I said, over 30 sites throughout the country. Uh, so four years ago, we started Sacramento. Uh, after that, we realized that a couple of things. One, we would never, because we weren't charging uh, very much. We were only charging $5 per user at the time. Uh, We're up to $7.95 now, but uh, we were never going to make it where it could even pay for itself doing one market. But if we copied and pasted, if you will, the, the service and the concept to other markets that were also looking for this type of service, then we'd be able to at least sustain the company. And so that's what we did. So we uh, started with Sacramento, and then shortly thereafter, we went into Portland and New Orleans, and then Denver and Phoenix, and now we're in uh, 30-plus markets, and we'll be in 44 by the end of this year. And we're now we have uh, four full-time employees in addition to myself. Uh, I have two co-founders or partners that are uh, working on it as well, and uh, we have one, two part-time people. Whenever I talk to somebody who's building a tech business or a tech-enabled business outside of the tech industry, I always want to know the story behind that. How did you break into the film industry and become familiar with its inner workings? Yeah, so I actually have a background in marketing development and uh, funny that you said politics and also and some political stuff and and was doing kind of theater on the side for fun, just like, like a lot of people in community theater. And I wrote a play and, and, uh, it, it did very well. Uh, it was an original and got nominated for the best original. And so I kind of got a little more into it, had some major medical issues about eight years ago that kind of caused me to redo, uh, my life, if you will. And, and one of the things I got more into at that time was, was into acting. And so I started doing some, some acting projects locally in Sacramento and uh, one thing led to another as far as kind of meeting people on set. And I've coming from a marketing development background, I was always a, a networker. And so I met people who would tell me about other opportunities. And I started uh, working. Uh, I got a cast as a FBI agent on a TV show called I Almost Got Away With It, which filmed down in San Francisco. And I was fortunate enough to to meet some some great people on that set and 
and I approached it a little differently. I, I came at it from a professional standpoint versus an actor standpoint and got to know some of the people. And they had a role shortly thereafter that was a much bigger role on a different episode uh, of a different TV show by the same company. And they put me in that. So my very my second TV show filming was as the primary bad guy in an episode of a TV show called I Faked My Own Death that aired on Discovery Channel. And so that went well. And then I got to do a, uh, just a few months after that, I did, got cast uh, in a production where I got to do a scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman, which was amazing. And just kind of started building up and doing more and more acting. And, and uh, within a year, I was working full time as an actor and also at the same time networking a lot. And my daughters, uh, who, Gosh, uh, this is eight years ago, so uh, would have been about my oldest was about 10 years old at the time. She really was excited about what I was doing and she wanted to start doing some acting stuff. So I learned very quickly about uh, what it took to be a parent of a child actor, because Mm -hmm. in California, uh, there's a lot of rules and regulations. And my daughter got cast on a episode of a uh, show called Smosh, which is a web series on YouTube that has, I don't know what they're up to now. I think like 25, 26 million subscribers and a very, very popular web series. In fact, I think they were the first one to break a million subscribers on YouTube. And so I, as a parent took her to the set and started talking with the director And he just happened to mention that he was looking for some people for the next episode. And I happened to know somebody that I thought would be perfect based upon my networking and meeting other people on other sets. And I recommended them and they ended up getting cast. And the director called me after that and said, Hey, I have another need for the next week's episode. Uh, Do you know anybody that meets this criteria? And I did. And after about the third time, he said, why don't we just bring you on as our casting director? So I came on uh, to working with the the Smosh team as their casting director, and it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. It was a great opportunity, and I, I also did a little bit of uh, set work with them as a second assistant director, helping when I cast a lot of people. But the challenge was, and here's where the pain came in, is that I would get submissions. I was casting a music video and I was getting all these submissions from people and they were sending me their headshots and resumes and emails and they would send their resume and it would say, you know, instead of Cortland Allen resume, it would say, you know, my resume. Well, now I got to go in, I got to change the name on it and I got to change the image from image 4789 to Cortland Allen resume or a headshot because I've got to then forward it on to the director for his final approval on the people that I, I bring in. So it took me hours to do all this. And it was one of those, there's got to be a better way to do this moments. And uh, one of my best friends happens to be a database engineer. And this is where, you know, knowing people that are already in your life that, that work out well. And I, I reached out to him. His name is Brian Heath, an amazing engineer. And said, hey, can you help me build something that will make my process of reviewing these submissions easier? And uh, so we started working on something. And then shortly after, about halfway through the development, it was kind of one of those, why don't we just make this available as a SaaS instead of just for me? And that's what we did. That's quite a journey, Brian, from actor to casting director to entrepreneur. Did you know from the outset that you might want to someday start a business? When did you first even open yourself up to the idea of becoming an entrepreneur? When I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> so way back. I've always been, yeah, way back. I, I've always been uh, on the entrepreneur side as well. I, I literally, I was, I was joking with my kids the other day. When I was a kid, maybe even younger than eight, one of, one of my play sets, quote unquote, was a like, my office playset where you got this package and it had like business cards that were like had lines that you would fill in and you'd write in your name and your phone number on them. And it had letterhead that you would do the same thing for. That's how long ago I was interested in sitting at a desk and running my own business. What was the first real business that you started? Was it Casting Calls America? No, uh, actually I had my own, I started my own little ad agency when I was 15 years old. I did um, 
stickers and promotional things for local businesses in my hometown. That was, and I went and got my my business license and everything from the from the county. Uh, that was not a uh, a long term profitable venture, but it was something that I kind of learned a little bit right out right out the gate. Uh, and then I had a uh, retail business actually when I was eighteen years old. I owned a small video store back when that was a thing. <laughs> You're dating Aging yourself. myself a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, I guess I was a little bit older. I guess I was maybe 19. But uh, but yeah, so uh, that was that was quite the adventure and learned a lot from that. It was right when things were changing from video to DVD. So it was not the best time to be in the uh, the video store world. No. Uh, ob- obviously, nobody was, you know, long for that world, but uh, had that experience. And then Actually, my my two partners that I'm with now and I started a business uh, back in 06 that was also a software company. And that, too, was not uh, long for this world. What happened there and what did your company do? So that was called eJob Fairs. And I still think it was a, a good concept. It was more of a timing and technology issue, really. I mean, and Brian uh, Heath was the engineer for that as well. And we were a way ahead of our time and B, we were at the wrong time. So the the concept for that was instead of a job fair being at a convention center or hotel or what have you on a Wednesday from 11 to three, it would be on the website on a Wednesday from 11 to three for an area. So it wasn't just this free for all. It was very specific. So we would have very specific businesses that would log in and they would have virtual tables, if you will, virtual booths at this electronic job fair, and they would have a queue. And so they could go as a job seeker, you would log in and you could see who was there and read the job descriptions that they had available. And if you were interested, you could click, you know, start conversation and it would allow you to then be put in their queue. And the uh, recruiter from the company could would be logged in and would be able to see who was in their queue and they could go back and forth between the conversations and be able to interview people basically via chat all in real time, all through the website, all during this, these specific times. And our kind of unique difference was that for the recruiters, unlike a traditional job fair where you have to sit behind the booth and wait for somebody to come up to you, the recruiters were able to search through who was logged in and look at their resumes and they were able to initiate the conversations. And that was our big uh, differentiator for what we were doing. And all that sounds great, except for two things. One, we were way ahead of ourselves with with the technology because there was no AWS. There was no rampable cloud storage. And we crashed. (laughs) We would have so many people having so many conversations. And we had some big companies that were involved with us and working with us. and so it, the companies loved the concept and loved the idea. The other, so we had some technology issues because we couldn't keep up with our own volume. Yeah, well, it's pretty ambitious in 2006 to try to build some sort of live chat-based system and scale that with only one developer. Yeah, that was it. It was just it was just Brian and yeah, he, that's a he, lot to take on. Yeah. Oh, it, it was so much, and, and I don't even realize how much it was. If I thinking back, I go, my gosh, that was 12 years ago. And that was so ahead of, <laughs> ahead of the times on what was happening. And so, but I mean, he made it conceptually work. It just, we couldn't handle the volume. It wasn't ready for it. And we didn't know what to expect. And because it was all live login, so it wasn't, as predictable as we had hoped. The other challenge is, is that it was 2006. And right when we were really getting it ready to go is when the crash hit. And the last thing companies were spending money on was attending job fair, virtual or not. Right. So alongside your video store business, this is the second business in a row where the market just sucked. And instead of riding right. some huge wave that's forming, you're actually strapped to some plane that's crashing and burning and plummeting to the ground. Yeah, I, I still think that it's a viable concept, uh, and and I wouldn't mind going back to it in the future. Uh, but thankfully, we're we're doing uh, some really great things with Casting Calls America, to where we're we're 
growing and, and finding more opportunities uh, than than less because you know in, in the film production world the barrier to entry is so much less now than it used to be and the opportunities and the the need for production is more with there being more places for companies and individuals to put their their productions on with Facebook and watch and the videos and YouTube and everything. There's just so much more opportunity on, on all ends that I think we're, we're now on the, the right wave. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's a much better place to be. Let me ask, how did you find your customers for this online job fair website? Because that's the part that most people struggle with. A lot of people build things and then nobody shows up. And yet you guys had so many people that your website couldn't withstand the traffic. Where did you find all these customers? Yeah. So again, we were a two-sided marketplace without knowing what that was at the time. And with that, it was pretty much cold outreach for the employers. It was it was calling up companies and saying, hey, we finding out who the, the recruiter was and saying, we have a job fair coming up, but here's the unique difference. You get to initiate the conversations. And that was very appealing to people, uh, to the recruiters. They liked that concept. And so we had, I'm trying to think back to some of the companies. I remember uh, CarMax, was hiring, used us to hire for management positions. Wells Fargo used us. So we had some, some good companies and for getting the job seekers. And I wish this still existed, but Google radio was our number one source. Google radio. What, you, what even is that? Yeah. So Google actually had a, a, a radio platform where you could buy excess radio time like you can AdWords. And it was fantastic. You would tell it what market you wanted to be in and what your budget was, and you would upload your 30-second commercial, and they would basically just slide it in to different radio stations that had the excess time. And it was extremely cost-effective. It was very easy to use, and I, I don't know if it was because it wasn't profitable enough for Google, but they, they shut it down probably 2007, 2008, shortly after uh, we kind of ceased our operations that they they stopped doing Google Radio, which was unfortunate because that was a great, great marketing uh, platform. Sounds like the entire deck was stacked against you with that business where everything that you depended yeah. on was sort of crashing <laughs> oh, and burning. Yeah. Oh, it totally. And that's one of the things that 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 scares me now is that there's, you know, we, we use Facebook and we use Google uh, to, fi- to find people a lot of word of mouth on the the casting director side, but one, I want to say challenge, but it's hard with actors to share other resources um, if they're concerned about it being a resource that could take away from their own opportunities. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is that, you know, if, if an actor is having a hard time finding local opportunities, the last thing they necessarily want to do is, and this isn't true for, for all actors, to be clear. There are some actors that are very, very open about helping other actors. But some actors are, are skeptical to to give out that resource and share it with others because they, they're they afraid that that's going to then increase the competition that they have for getting the jobs. And so word of mouth is not necessarily as strong as maybe in other industries. Uh, and again, that's definitely not all actors because there are some that are all about supporting the other actors and helping them out and going to their shows and, mm-hmm. and being really supportive. But we have to rely on, you know, the, the platforms that are out there with Facebook and, and Google and, and other new media opportunities. And, you know, if all of a sudden one of those goes away, that's definitely a concern about, well, now what do we do? So what are some of the, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've taken away from the previous businesses that you've run? Cause I know a lot of people learn by reading and it's also extremely impactful to learn by doing. And I think it's easy once you started a business and you've made some mistakes and you've seen certain things occur that kill your business to, I guess, build up an immunity to those types of things and not make those same mistakes again. Yeah, I think uh, the speed at which we we try to be all things at all times to everyone, I think being a little bit more one at a time like we have been now uh, – if we'd started this company with Casting Calls America with a whole bunch of funding and and uh, all this you know amazing resources, I don't think we would be nearly su- as successful as we are because we went basically market by market and built that market, found the people that were needing our services on both ends, 
built those up, made the connections, uh, built a, a reputation with amongst the casting directors that we have a really good software platform. Whereas before we tried to, you know, we, we created this mass schedule of, okay, let's get as many people in as possible and let's do as many job fairs as quickly as we possibly can without really learning from our mistakes the day before. So we have a problem on Tuesday. We don't have time to fix it because we have another event on Wednesday and another one on Thursday. And we, we pushed ourselves too hard, too fast. So let's talk about Casting Calls America. You've talked about how you were the casting director and that you ended up running into all these problems yourself with trying to standardize the submissions that actors were giving you. And you realized there had to be a better way. When you called up your your old co-founder, Brian, was he immediately on board or was he skeptical because you guys had already gone through this business that had not worked out? Well, we have another partner, Kirk, uh, who was probably a little bit more the one who was skeptical because he was also involved in in the e-job fairs and probably felt the the financial pain more than, not probably, felt the financial pain more than the rest of us did as, as he was more financially invested. I think that for this, Brian, who is such a skilled engineer saw it as a challenge at first of, okay, how can I, how can I make this work to what me, Brian, uh, needs and solve this problem. And then once we did that and I said, Hey, let's, let's monetize this and see if people are interested in it and people were interested right away. Then I think, you know, he's he's a very smart guy. I think he saw the writing on the wall very quickly that, okay, people people want this and they need this. And so we have an opportunity here. And in theory, <laughs> it would be, quote unquote, easy because once we have the main software, we could just duplicate it in the other sites. Of course, the reality is, is that it's never done. It, there's constantly, you know, we're updating it by we, I mean, he uh, is updating it constantly and creating new features and adding new features and doing new things. So though it's it's never done, but at least now we have it where we're not changing 44 different websites individually. We, we, we make one, ch- again, he makes a change <laughs> and it goes out to all sites. Knowing that that was kind of the model of what we wanted to do, I think was more appealing because of how scalable it was uh, based upon the, the the early success that we had. Did you know right from the beginning that you wanted to go with this model where you'd build a different website for every city? I think most people starting online businesses would think, oh, you know, the advantage of being online is that I can reach everybody in every city. So let's just do a global thing. How did you know that you should go city by city? The initial thinking was we just did it for Sacramento because that's where I was working and that's where I needed it. I was casting a project that was filming in the Sacramento area. So I needed I needed a tool that would connect me to Sacramento actors and then we made it available to everybody else. And we need to keep the price point low enough to where it made sense for people to be a part of it. So because of that, it wasn't realistic to try to create a national site because we would then have to do basically the other model that that we're talking about that doesn't make a lot of sense which is go too big too fast and we wouldn't have been able to market it right or 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 do it right whereas when we st- stuck with one area we were able to really focus on getting users in that area from both sides so i don't think that we ever planned on it being what it is now and in, in, in a good way but we knew that it would never be sustainable by itself in one city, but we also knew that we had to do it in one city first to make it work. So I think once we realized that, then that's when we went, okay, this is, this is something that's scalable. Uh, let's go ahead and, and, and start thinking about how we do that. So I don't think it was initially the, the plan right when we built it, cause it was really going to be more of a, an internal tool. But once we released it in the one market and saw the response from the one market. Then we realized that we could, that we were going to need to do a national rollout city by city. I think starting small like that is so, there's so many advantages to it because not only do you get to learn as you go and not really bite off more than you can chew and end up in the same situation you were in with your job fair website, but it's also just quicker and easier to get your product out the door. And I think what kills a lot of early entrepreneurs' businesses is they have this grand vision of what they're going to build. And they're thinking about two or three years down the road, and it takes them six, eight, 12 months to even get their first product out the door. You know, and by the time they've got that done, 
they've already invested so much that they, you know, if they've gone in the wrong direction, it's hard to fix. Or if they've run out of money, then you know the company's dead on arrival. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and a lot of it was that trial and error of kind of figuring out what didn't work before being able to figure out what did work, and kind of went with that model of okay, we don't have to worry about trying to market to everybody by only having one city that we're servicing. We had, you know, one Facebook page and one one Twitter account and and one website that was just for a regional market. So we're not trying to get, you know, media coverage throughout the country or trying to get users from throughout the country because and being a two-sided marketplace, we needed those those sides to connect and trying to do that for, on a national scale, I couldn't imagine doing without millions of dollars versus bootstrapping it from, you know, from zero. Uh, so that was absolutely the best way to go. And, and I think continues to be the best, even if we had millions of dollars in the bank right now, I, I don't think in, to do it over again, I don't think I'd want to. I think that this regional rollout and, and by market rollout has been helpful in not only scaling the the size of the software servicing, but also staffing, marketing tools. We can go with smaller plans to begin with and build up as we as we got bigger. There's there's a lot of benefits to having that controlled scaling that allows for not just the front end of the business, but the back end of the business to grow at the same time. It's almost like you're franchising yourself. Like you figured out how to make it work in one city and now you're opening up McDonald's, well, Casting Calls Americas, and every other city based on the learnings from your, your first go. That's funny. That's that's exactly how I've referred to it too. It's, it's almost like a franchise model, except for it's all run from you know one office or, or two locations, actually. Uh, have a California office and an Idaho office. But that's exactly the mentality is that we we do it all from that we, we franchise ourselves. Tell me about the process of building that original business in Sacramento. How did you go about building up both sides of this two-sided marketplace and how have things changed and moving to other cities since then? Yeah, I mean, with Sacramento, because I was already doing a lot of, of casting and I was working as an actor, I was, I was personally on both sides of the marketplace. So that allowed me the opportunity to already have a lot of connections. So I knew a lot of the people that were casting projects. There's a casting director in, in the Bay Area. Her name is Tony Stanowitz. Uh, she cast me in a lot of projects and, and got to know me as a professional and as an actor. And so she had had me refer people to her before. And so when I told her about this site, she was excited to test it out and use it. And it was one of our first uh, first users as a casting director. And, and I knew others that were doing projects. And so I already had that that those connections with within my own personal network and already knew a lot of the actors that were in the community and, and got a lot of their feedback too about what they wanted. And so being being personally on both sides of that marketplace helped me a lot in having those connections and, and knowing what we need to build, at least for our MVP, which again was another term that wasn't even in my on my radar. Um, but that's what we ended up with. We ended up with a, with an MVP that made it work and allowed us to make those connections with the people that we already had. Then going on to the new cities, we had to do a completely different outreach because we didn't have those connections. And so we had to kind of figure out, well, what do we need first, the jobs or the people? And we quickly realized that we need the people first. Uh, so we, we kind of pre-register, did marketing for pre-registration saying, hey, we're going to be offering this service. If you're interested, you know, let us know here, you know, put in your email and information here. And then that way, once we kind of hit a threshold, we were able to then start finding the projects that we're casting and launch the site at that time. That's really fascinating to hear about because you've got both sides of the experience. I think a lot of people listening who want to start businesses look around at their current job and what the people that they know and the skills that they have, and they don't necessarily see an opportunity to start a business. And so they end up having to start something from scratch in an industry that they don't know necessarily as much about, and they don't have all these connections and they have to learn from their customers and learn how to market to people kind of from scratch. Whereas you had both perspectives. You had Sacramento where you had this network built up and you knew exactly what to do. And you had all these new cities where you're going in and you're starting from scratch. What was it like in these new cities? How did you, for example, figure out that you needed to 
start by getting the actors and before you started getting the roles? And how did you even get these actors to sign up for your list in the first place? Definitely a trial and error. It was very much a, and, and you said, you know, know what to do in Sacramento. I, uh, I wouldn't put, go that far, <laughs> uh, but I would say at least I had a baseline of, I knew what I wanted as a casting director. And so that's, you know, I, there's plenty of things that we've added since then that, that we've gotten feedback from, from additional casting directors that are at a much higher level than I ever was doing much bigger projects that say, Oh, you don't have this feature and I need that. Oh, I, I, never thought of that because I wasn't casting that big of a project. And now we have that feature. And same thing with the actor side. I knew what I wanted as an actor. So it was based on that. And then we were able to get feedback once we had users in. And I also had the additional benefit of being the parent of two child actors. And so I also had that mentality of how to protect the kids on, because there are, you know, inappropriate weird people out there. And so I was able to, to formulate that. So at least we had the core product and what people, you know, generalized in a, in a medium sized market were wanting. So when we went to the new, the new cities, we already had the MVP. Plus we got feedback from the users that started in Sacramento about what they liked and what they didn't like. And we were able to use some of that feedback in, in kind of promoting saying, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And this is why it's going to help everybody. Are you interested in pre-registered? And so that was, you know, a lot of it was probably, I'd say 90% of the outreach was through Facebook. And it was, it was me sending messages to people that, that were directly that were involved in the industry in, in the areas that we were moving into. We had brand ambassadors that we worked with where we found and identified people that were already active in that community and saying, hey, let me do a demo with you and show you what this is all about and then let you be kind of the champion of this and start introducing it to other people that are in that community that you know. And we we found a lot of success with that too. Sounds like a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of trial and error. What are some of the things that you tried that, that didn't work out? Oh, uh, that's a great question. And there's definitely a lot of, a lot of things. We tried more mass media stuff and that did not work for this. Uh, I mentioned how much I loved Google radio back in 06, 07. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. And so we tried to, well, what does terrestrial radio look like and cost? And, and that just, that was not a good idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> way, too, way too expensive for not enough you know, targeting, it, it, it just didn't work for the, the ROI was definitely not there. Uh, really any kind of the, the bigger mass marketing stuff we realized didn't work. It, what, what really worked was um, finding those people that were involved in the community that were already actively engaged with it and saying, we've got this software that makes it easier. And there's still challenges with that. People would, would question, I mean, this, this concept is not new in that there's services that have been doing this in one form or another for decades in LA and New York. And there's uh, breakdown services as a company in Los Angeles that has been doing some form of this for, for years. And there was a, there used to be a magazine down in, in LA called drama log that had casting calls in it. You, you'd pay for a subscription and they would mail it to your house once a week. And, then you would mail your headshot and resume to the address listed in the classified ad in the magazine. And that's how, that's how you found stuff. But there wasn't anything like that outside of those markets. And a lot of the markets that we're in, there is that they've never seen anything like what we're doing, even though it's not new to the industry, it's new to the market. And so we've had to also not only just provide the service and, and let people know what we exist, but we also have to educate them on what we are and what we do and that we're not a talent agency, we're, we, don't, we don't get you jobs, we're a software company, and we just happen to be focusing on this industry. And so that was the trial and error on that communication of, of explaining, educating plus explaining, and I think there's a difference, was definitely a challenge in the new markets as well. Yeah, when you mention that the mass market stuff didn't work, it's, it's interesting to hear that because I conceive how, from your perspective, that's the holy grail. You don't necessarily want to have to 
you know, be super scrappy and join every Facebook group and try to find a different person in every community and every city that you come to and talk to them and try to figure out how things work. It's much easier if you can just blast out a message to everybody and magically your website works. Uh, but on the other hand, when you have to go this route of talking to individual people and figuring out how the community works and getting them subscribed to your website, you end up having all these conversations that you wouldn't have if you were just blasting out a message to everybody. Did you learn anything from the people that you were talking to? And if so, how did those learnings affect the development of your business? Oh, so much education from those conversations because we would say, hey, here's what we're doing. And we would find out what people didn't know and what they did know. And we would find out from people where they'd say, oh, this, this, you know, you're not supposed to charge people to audition for, for acting jobs. And we respond, right, we know that. That's not what this is. This is a software service that allows you to be notified about casting calls and then you can use it to submit to those those projects, the people who are doing the auditions don't receive any compensation. They're just using our software. And so explaining that and realizing that we needed to explain that was different too, because in Sacramento, people kind of knew what we were doing and there there was, it's close enough to LA and in San Francisco where there was similar services that they got the concept a little bit easier. But in these markets that had never seen anything like us, having those conversations were extremely valuable because we knew what we were up against and, and just doing a blank. And actually what's, what's funny is I now tell people, if you hear something on the radio, it's probably not legitimate or at least it's not what it sounds like. Cause there's these acting schools that advertise on the radio of, you know, come audition for Disney and all this stuff. And usually they, they make it sound like it's this great big audition when really it's a presentation for a, a, very expensive acting school and they can afford to pay for terrestrial radio because they charge people exorbitant amounts to be a part of those programs. So we actually now say, you know, if you hear it on the radio in a, uh, for a casting call, it's probably not what they're saying or what they're implying that they are not that they're illegitimate, but they're not doing what they necessarily are implying per se and having not going that route and instead going the route of having those one-on-one conversations, even if it's through Facebook Messenger and saying, you know, hey, here's what we do. You know, we'd love, to, love for you to take a look. And then getting people to actually have that one-on-one dialogue and saying back to us, oh, okay, I'll take a look at it. Hey, I, I looked at it and I don't understand what this means. And having that, instead of them going to the site and, you know, inserting in a support ticket or something like that, it was more of those one-on-one conversations where knowing it inside and out, I'm able to go, Oh yeah, this is, this is how that works. And being able to read those, those messages and say, okay, this wasn't clear. I need to go back and make sure that it is, or I need to work with Brian and make sure that it's, it's clear or that we change this or we work it was, it continues to be valuable. I mean, it's not like it, it ever stops. I mean, there's still, new people that message us on a daily basis almost now that will say, you know, Hey, I I couldn't find where this was. And we go, Oh, I would have never thought that that would have been a challenge, but okay, let's make sure we make it better. Yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, especially first time entrepreneurs underestimate the, the gap between how you think about your business and how your customers think about your business. And it's very easy to sort of have this curse of knowledge affect you where you think what you're doing is extremely clear or it's extremely valuable and unless you talk to these people one-on-one and you watch them try to use your website and you talk to them about your opinions and why they will or they won't pay you, you're never going to correct those misconceptions. You're just going to build and build and wonder why nobody's using your product. Well, and, and obviously you run a community full of amazing entrepreneurs and you tell me where the fine line is because I don't know that I found it yet. And that's, okay, I start a business because I have a specific problem that I think needs to be solved and I'm already in that field. And so I came up with a way to solve it and I know that it needs to be solved and I know how to solve it. And then on the other side is, but I may not know all the problems in that field or all the ways to solve them. So that fine line between the the knowledge you already have as an entrepreneur and as, as a creator versus the knowledge of your eventual user base. Yeah, and if I had to pick only having one of those, I would pick the latter. Because I think having that that 
personal experience yourself is extremely valuable. It's kind of a shortcut to having to talk to other people, but it won't last forever because as you said, you aren't everybody else. And other people's experiences might be different for yours. So no matter what, as your business grows, if you want to build something that's not just valuable for you, but is valuable for other people, you're going to have to develop those skills of talking to other people, putting yourself in their shoes, and figuring out what they like. And that's something that never ends. I mean, if you're the CEO of a big company like Stripe, you're still talking to users and trying to figure out what they look like and what they care about, even when your company's worth $10 billion, and every point below that, and every point after that. So it's, uh, it's hard to draw a line, but I think you know, it's, it's something that never really ends. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that if you, if you had to pick on a side, I think you're, you're right. You should pick on the, the side of, you know, what are the end users continuing to feel? And they're feeling it at different levels. I mean, as I mentioned, I had my experience as an actor and as a casting director, but there are, you know, that pales in comparison to some of the projects and, and performances and roles that we've had posted on our, on our sites uh, since we've launched. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we've outgrown well beyond my experience and have had casting directors that are, you know, above and beyond and actors that are far above and beyond anything I've ever done or, or tried to do. And be in listening to their feedback, as well as the people who are just starting out and who don't know anything about the industry and being able to have a platform and a service that can help that entire spectrum, we wouldn't be able to do if it weren't for listening to the feedback that we're getting. Let's talk about some of the specific decisions that you guys have made in running Casting Calls America. First, I want to talk about your business model because you guys are selling your service. I think you said you charge seven seven ninety five as a subscription service. Yeah, seven ninety five a month for for actors, and there's no cost for the casting directors producers to post on the site. Okay, how did you decide on on that business model? Because you could have clearly gone. A different direction. You could have potentially charged the casting directors. You could have made the whole thing free and, and advertised or something. Why did you decide on that particular business model? There's there's somewhat of a precedent already set with the other services that are doing this in LA, New York, etc. In that the the casting directors don't pay for it, uh, the producers don't pay, and that the the actors do. There's there's some variations of the model. Uh, some have it where the agencies, if you have a talent agent, uh, your agency pays a flat rate to have all their talent on uh, a site like ours. Uh, there's a few different models. And basically, for the small markets, smaller, basically, and I refer to the markets that we're in is is everything but LA, New York type of stuff is is where we're aimed at. With those markets, it made them sense to have a really low monthly fee for the actors compared to the LA sites, which are, you know, more than four times ours, but because there's bigger market and there's a lot more jobs in LA than there's ever going to be in Sacramento, California. But we still thought that that made the most sense to stay within the industry norms, if you will. Like I said, I mean, decades ago that you paid for a magazine subscription and then you had to pay to, mail your headshot and resume, which by the way, costs way more than <laughs> what we're doing um, now. And that was, you know, 30 years ago, but based upon what the market was already doing or the industry was already doing and the markets that we were going into, that made the most sense. What about the exact pricing model? How did you arrive on the price of, of seven ninety five? Well, seven ninety five is ba- is our second pricing. So we initially started off with $5 a month and we added on features throughout time that started increasing the costs. So for example, we have integrated in video auditions. So one of the features that we have is where a casting director, instead of, uh, and this especially helps for these regional markets, instead of just saying, okay, I'm looking for, you know, actors between this age range and, and, and males and females and this ethnicity, et cetera, they can also say, and if you match that criteria, you can do your initial audition right now by recording these lines. And it's what they call sides or the, 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 the lines that they give you for the audition. And they can upload the sides into the, into the casting call and say, okay, if you're, if you're interested, not only can you just submit your profile right now, you can actually read these sides, record your audition and upload the video file. Well, now we have video hosting expenses. And we also integrated in a audio audition. So if you're casting for a voiceover project, you can put on there what you want for the voiceover. 
and the actors can record the voiceover on their home microphone and upload that MP3 and submit that. And the casting director can play it directly from their phone or desktop or what have you. And so now our, our, we're offering more, but our expenses became more. Right. And so once we kind of flatlined a little bit as far as new features went, and we had that going for a while, we were able to get a better idea of what our actual costs were. And one of our, I'm going to say challenges, but back to my viewpoint of as an actor and putting my actor hat on when developing this, some of the these services that do similar to what we do you have to subscribe before you can even see what the casting calls are available. And I always had a problem with that. I, I, I think that it's much better model uh, and much more service focused. If we say, listen, if you can create your profile and register and, and fill out your information and you can see all the casting calls that are on the site that you're a match for right up front, that way you can make an informed decision on whether or not you want to subscribe. But part of that is, is that the, the image hosting and all the hosting that we do is already part of that. So we have expenses even for our free users that are there looking at what the casting calls are. So once we were established long enough to where we could kind of get a feel for what those costs were between the average user and the video files and everything like that, we realized, okay, five is not going to cover it. <laughs> Uh, so we can't sustain this and, and keep operating. And so we wanted to find a number that was still low enough to be reasonable, but enough to be able to cover the costs of, of operating the service and bringing in enough to where we can continue our growth. And that's where we came up with the 795. Yeah, it's, it's tough to charge a small amount of money per month because even 795 isn't that much. And I think if you're, you know, perhaps a struggling actor, maybe that's a lot to ask. But at the same time, as a, someone trying to run a business, it kind of leaves you in a situation where the only way that you can grow is by just reaching a massive number of people. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's where the whole scalability factor comes in, is that though we're in over 30 markets, it's all run from two locations, essentially. And primarily, it's, it's one company running it. So that scalability is is really critical to maintaining the the lower price point. If we had to have some sort of physical presence in every city or things like that, then it would just be absolutely unrealistic to to charge that that little. But you're right; it, it's for for a struggling actor, even that can be a bit of a challenge. But on the flip side, actually, it's some of the the feedback I get from the casting directors, especially the I don't want to say higher end because that's not not what I mean, but the the casting directors who are working on bigger projects that are paying higher higher rates to the actors, they like that the actors are paying a fee because it shows a level of commitment. It lets them know that these aren't just people who are submitting because they can. They have a paid subscription and they're submitting because they're serious about what they're doing and they're interested. Let me ask you about your personal life as a founder, especially since you're building a business that really needs to reach a massive scale. How has your work-life balance been and how has it evolved since the beginning of your company? Well, you're asking me and not my wife, so that's a key point uh, <laughs> because we, we would probably have different answers. Uh, I think it's a lot better now than it used to be. Uh, just this year, we, we brought on some full-time staff and that has helped uh, tremendously. We have some amazing people uh, that we have found to to work with us that has made a lot of difference in in the work life balance. Beyond that, it's been it's definitely been a challenge. You know, the 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 old you know we're the only people that would give up a full time job to you know work twice as much uh, adage is is absolutely true. The amount of hours spent working on on the business physically working on it. And, and, and I think there's a big difference because there's the amount of time that I'm actually at my computer physically working on it. And then there's all the hours where I'm sitting watching TV and I'm thinking about something or I'm lying in bed, not sleeping, thinking about, oh, I got to send this email tomorrow or shoot, I need, to, I think if we did this, it would make it better. And every time somebody asks me what I do and I tell them about the platform, and they ask me a question that nobody's asked me before. Now I'm thinking, oh, 
I didn't have an answer for that. I need to have an answer for that question, or maybe we need to look into that. So the physical time and the mental time are, are definitely different. And I think the mental time can be even the bigger challenge of always thinking about the business and how I can improve it and make things better. So sometimes I I really have to set aside mental time, not just time with my family, but mental time with my family where I'm not in a position to think about the business or work on the business. I hope that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. And it's it's tough because it's easy to not realize that you're spending all of this time thinking about your business and you're sort of living and breathing it when you're not at your computer even. And it's I think once you have that conscious realization, you can start to work on it if that's what you want to do. How has hiring helped you out? And, and how have you, have you as a self-funded bootstrap company uh, sort of worked hiring into your process? Because you can really only hire based on the profits that you make. And I think that limits some of the decisions and the order that you make those decisions in. Oh, absolutely. We, we definitely had to wait for quite a while before we could hire uh, any staff in and bringing in staff knowing that we were going to have to do the price change and, and doing that all at the same time was a big part of it. So we knew that, okay, we're going to have a little bit more revenue in theory. And with that more revenue, we'll be able to to afford the staff. But with the staff, we'll be able to provide better support and more value to our users. And that's absolutely been the case. And in more ways than I even realized, uh, for example, before having staff, we knew we needed a, a better support system than basically a contact form with, you know, how can we help you? And I knew I wanted to find something, some program that was already out there that, that would do that. But I wasn't ready to do that until I could bring somebody in that would actually manage it. And I was extremely fortunate enough to find a individual who had a lot of experience with Zendesk. And so when we brought uh, him in, his name is Dale. When we brought Dale in, he already had this Zendesk background, which I didn't know. I'd never worked with Zendesk really at all. And so he came in and, and not only were we able to get it going, but I didn't have to learn it myself and then train him. It was quite the opposite. He basically built it and then trained me. And that was so helpful in streamlining our support process being able to provide more information to users at quicker, where they're able to look up their own information and, and answer questions without necessarily having to wait for us to respond. And it was because, not just because I hired the person that was able to take away from what I was doing, but because I hired somebody who already had that skill set in their in their toolbox. Yeah, let's let's talk about the people that you work with for a little bit because. You have the same co-founders, the same partners with Casting Calls America as you did back in the past with your business with the online job boards and the job fairs. How minus has that, one minus one? So did, did minus Kirk one. There was along? one other. There was one other co-founder that uh, that's moved on and lives in a different part of the country that that wasn't a part. Of, that's not a part of what we're doing now. Okay, so how many is it three of you moved on together or three two of us of now? Okay, three. So you got three three yeah. co-founders that you've worked on multiple projects with. How has that helped you build your business? Because I imagine, you know, not only do you have a history of working together, but you also share, you know, the same knowledge of the lessons that you learned from your previous business. You're not the only person who's like, hey, we need to move slow. Both Brian and Kirk will be like, hey, yeah, last time we moved way too fast. Let's move slow. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I I couldn't imagine. I, I I listened to to your show and read some of the stories and listening to some of these the co-founders that are bringing in. I mean, I think it's extremely important. I mean, I can see both sides. I think it's extremely important to bring in different views of people with different experiences, but also having that same or similar experience where we knew what happened and we can easily shut something down and go, well, remember we did that before and it didn't work. And it's either, well, yeah, this is different. And here's why. And we know what we're talking about or, oh, you're right. Let's move on. And it, the conversation's over very quickly. So I, I think that that, uh, that that shared background is very valuable, but I also see where having a co-founder coming in that has a completely de- different experience, uh, past experience set would also be beneficial. But the nice thing about our setup is that we're we're friends and we're co-founders, and uh, we've known each other far longer than our our business relationships, and so I think that that 
helps in some security too, that if we have a bad day, we don't have to worry about one of us saying, well, forget this. I'm, I'm not talking to you guys anymore. Exactly. Has there ever been a time where it's been difficult for the three of you to align on a decision or have there been any decisions where you guys are maybe all aligned, but it was still a tough decision to make? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely been conversations about different opportunities that we have come at it from different viewpoints, but we're very much in, and this comes to, to film production where I'm a big advocate for people kind of having their role and staying in their lane. We have our specialties. I do kind of the, the, the industry relation and, and marketing part of it. Brian is, is our engineer and, and that is his world. And Kirk is more legal business, financial type type person who does all the bookkeeping and financial stuff. And we have our different areas and we come at it very much uh, from a, here's why I think it works from my, for, you know, my department, if you will. And we have those discussions and then we can really come together and, and go, okay, let's, this is either the way to go or it's not the way to go. There's never been a time where we've been like, well, it's two to one. We're going to do this. I, I don't think we've ever moved forward with the decision where we weren't all three of us saying, yes, we should do this or no, we shouldn't. It's perfect to have your responsibilities so cleanly divided like that and, and just be able to almost operate, you know, like three independent chiefs of your domains where you can go as fast as you can without necessarily needing to powwow about everything. And you can take care of your stuff and they can take care of theirs. Yeah, no, it works out very well. Having those those clearly defined roles has made things, I think, much, much better than some other scenarios that I've heard. So let's say you had to go, you could go back four years in the past and tell yourself and tell your co-founders anything. What one thing would you tell, your, tell yourself in the past? Oh, that's a great question. That's a really good question. Uh, I, I like a lot of what we've done, uh, but I think that I think I would probably go back and say, well, I, I, actually, I know what it is. Uh, it would be on the technology side, and it's more of me than it is Brian. And that's that the way that we set it up is that each site was completely separately run. And as we got bigger, we had more requests from users, and it just made sense that there'd be some sort of connection. Because here we are, this company that's operating these, at the time, I think, 20 different casting call sites. And some of them were within hours of each other, if you think of it as, as cities. But there was no connection between them whatsoever. And if you're casting a project in St. Louis and you are willing to accept actors from Kansas City, or better example, if you're in uh, Houston, Texas, and you want to bring in people from Austin or San Antonio or vice versa, you would have to go and post it on each one of those sites. And if you were an actor, you would have to have an account on each one of those sites. So we created, and again, we means Brian, <laughs> figured out a way to connect the back ends where a casting director could post on one site and create a posting on one site, but also have that posting shared to other sites and accept submissions from the actors that were registered with those other sites without having to go and create a new account, and the actors wouldn't have to go to the other site. That structure was not built in when we first designed it. And so Brian had to go back and create that structure after the fact, and that took considerable amount of time that had we maybe waited a couple of months from our MVP, would have been able to be a part of it, but we didn't know what we didn't know and we didn't realize how valuable that was going to be until we realized we really needed it. And we didn't realize how difficult it was going to be until we tried to do it. What about the, the future? Let's say you could talk to your future self five, 10 years from now. What one question would you ask? What do you want to know? Uh, are our new brands as good as we think they are? Okay. What does that mean? So, and, and you and I talked a little bit about this when we were uh, last talked in person, but one of the things that we've continued to do that I think is important is, uh, and, and I've, the way I've, I've now phrased it is, uh, don't quit your pain job, P-A-I-N job. And what I mean by that is if we stop, if I stop being involved in production, 
then I won't feel the pain of our users. And so we we do production. We have basically uh, formed our own production company on the side that we have a couple of projects that we've worked on. Uh, we have w- two web series that are yet to be released that we created, uh, one called Driving Test. That's actually uh, one of Rance Howard's last on-camera performances before his passing, which was very sad. He was an amazing, amazing actor and man. Uh, and we, and we just wrapped on a new, uh, the first couple episodes on a new web series starring comedian Carlos Mencia doing those productions and continuing to be involved in productions and helping other people in their productions, let us know what pain our users are feeling. And instead of just being this now SaaS company, we're still involved in the original world in which, created this concept and created the need for it and created the pain. So didn't quit our pain job. And so by doing this, we've realized that there's other places that people really need software as a service in the entertainment industry. And the the next one that we're coming out with is Crew Calls America. And Crew Calls America is going to be the same basic concept, except for the crew positions for productions, the Makeup and hair people, the camera operators, your your grips, uh, things along those lines that you need on set. That's another common pain point that people have a hard time finding the people for. And so now we're going to offer that service and we're going to do it with the same mentality that we've done casting calls. Or we're going to have a, a crew call site for every city that we have a casting call site in. I like that. Don't quit your pain job. And it's it's so counterintuitive because that's exactly what everybody wants to quit. <laughs> What's the most painful right. <laughs> thing that I'm doing? How do I stop doing that? But right. it, uh, opera, right. if you want to grow, that's what you need to keep doing. So you keep learning. And that's where the, the new ideas for us come from. There's another thing that's very industry specific called a call sheet. And it's the document that the assistant, either the first assistant or second assistant, depending on the production size, sends out the night before, uh, sometimes earlier, uh, of a production that lets everybody know whether it be cast or crew, who's supposed to be where and when. And that document has not, it's very, for the most part, antiquated. And so we're developing a software that makes it very streamlined and makes it easier for everybody. And that purely has kind of, actually Brian came up with that because he learned about the pain of a call sheet, which he'd never dealt with before getting involved in the production side. So even though he's, the engineer who never set foot on a set before, now he's a producer helping work on these projects and he's learning the pain that's associated with it and getting it. And he came up with the call sheet idea because he saw what a pain it was and he was hearing from the users what a pain it was. So we have that brand also launching uh, called Call Sheet Maker. That's awesome. Well, how about we wrap up and why don't you tell listeners what you think they should take out of the story that you've had, the lessons that you've learned, and you know, especially a focus on people who are just now getting into starting their own business or thinking about doing so for the first time. Well, I, we didn't say this specifically, but not comparing yourself to others is a huge part of it because you look at the numbers and, and not in a negative way. I mean, you look at indie hackers and there's so many great resources on there and you can see what people are doing, but not saying, oh, I should be there because Every scenario is different. I mean, even our sites amongst themselves within our company are different. But going slow for us worked very well this time. And building up our credibility, building up our markets, building up our user base, one city at a time, going that route worked for us. It may not work for everybody uh, going slow, but that works for us. And you don't have to be, you know, the overnight success, quote unquote. The other thing would be what we were just talking about with the don't quit your pain job, because boy, that has helped us so much by staying involved in the activities that we're trying to help with and coming up with a better ways to to service our existing users and B with new ideas that will help either our, our existing user base or our existing world of influence. That's awesome. Well, Brian, I've loved having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about you and Casting Calls America and all the other things that you guys are working on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, I would say for me, uh, find me on Indie Hackers, indiehackers.com forward slash user forward slash Brian Jagger. 
Uh, I've got my my Twitter on there, my email on there, a little bit more about me and uh, become more active in, in the indie hackers community. So happy to chat with anybody on there. Uh, and then for for Casting Calls America, our main site is castingcallsamerica.com. And then we have our, our sites list on there where you can see all the all the sites that we're on right now or that we have live right now and the ones that are coming up. That's awesome, Brian. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com slash review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and it really helps other people to discover the show, so your support is very much appreciated. In addition, if you are running your own internet business, or if that's something you hope to do someday, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com website. It's a great place to get feedback on pretty much any problem or question that you might have while running your business. If you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge proponent of getting help from other founders rather than trying to build your business all by yourself. So you'll see me on the forum for sure, as well as more than a handful of some of the guests that I've had on the podcast. If you're looking for inspiration, we've also got a huge directory full of hundreds of products built by other indie hackers, every one of which includes revenue numbers and some of the behind the scenes strategies for how they grew their products from nothing. As always, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.